Well, it is awesome to see you this morning. So glad that you're here. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors. My wife Grace and I and our two kids, we have the pleasure of planting and leading this church along with an amazing group of leaders, some of which you saw up here leading today. In fact, I was actually just smiling a lot of my way through worship this morning because my mentor has been my mentor for 10 plus years now, Phil, who's 71 years old, if I'm not mistaken, 72 years old. And he's up here leading worship for us. And I just absolutely love that. I hope that if the Lord allows me to be around at 72, that I would still have that kind of burning fire and passion for the Lord Jesus. That's what we're all about here. We're all about following after Jesus. We're all about submitting to his rule and reign as we sang. And uh, so anyways, I'm grateful that we have example, uh, an example in Phil and Diane and, and others like you uh, who've been following Jesus for a long time. Hey, um, we're gonna get into a teaching from the scriptures here in a second, but I wanna let you know about a couple things happening. First of all, can you just like put it together? If you've been in the prayer room this week, put it together. Come on, prayer room people. Um, you guys, this has been my dream come true. So exciting to see God move in your lives through prayer. Um, if, you're not, if you're not aware, if you're just joining us, we're doing a 24-7 around-the-clock prayer for the 40 days of Lent. This room right back here is, is where it's happening. In fact, there's someone in there praying right now, and I'm very uh, rudely interrupting them as they pray. Um, but what's been so exciting is to see um, uh, we have an unanswered prayer journal and a prayer journal. And uh, in the unanswered prayer journal, in the first week or so, it just filled up. Almost every single page was filled up with prayers, things that God is asking or things that we're asking God to do. And then it, going back into the prayer room this week, I've seen a lot of those prayers have been updated with answered prayers. This is how God answered it. This is how God answered it. This is how God answered it, which is so, so beautiful. And um, it's exciting for me to see this vision take hold. There are about uh, two and some odd weeks left of this prayer room. I just want to encourage you, if you haven't yet gotten a chance to get in, uh, go to our website uh, or scan this QR code and find an open slot and you can go in and pray. We're praying all through the night. Actually, if I can be so bold and honest, those late night hours have been the most exciting for me. There's no reason for me to be awake other than to be seeking God's presence. And so there's something about the expectancy um, of those early morning hours. So I highly encourage you to sign up if you haven't already. Next, we just want to make you aware that um, our church requires, we need a lot of volunteers to make Sundays happen, to make communities happen. And so we just want to invite those of you who've been maybe been coming for a little while and want to get connected, want to take a next step. We could really, really use your help in uh, areas of service. For example, we need help in kids. Always need help in kids. And it's not just like watching babies or watching kids. It's actually teaching ch kids about the love of Jesus. And it's a honor. It's a privilege. Oftentimes, if I'm not teaching down here, I see if I can snag a spot upstairs teaching with the kids because I consider it a high honor to be able to teach kids about Jesus. So we need help there. We also need help in tech, on worship team, and set up and tear down, all the stuff. So um, if you're interested at all, you can scan the QR code or you can go and uh, see Brittany on your way out and sign up to serve that way. Lastly, you guys, Resurrection Sunday is coming. It's coming really soon. Um, this is the highlight of the Christian calendar. It's the highlight of our year where we remember Jesus' resurrection. So here's what we're doing for this, uh, for this Sunday only, for Resurrection Sunday only. We're going to have three 
different gatherings that are about an hour long. So a bit shorter uh, than our normal gatherings, but we're doing three of them, 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11. The reason why we're doing that is we want to make enough room for your kids upstairs, for you to be able to park outside, and also for you to be able to invite your friends. Because this is such a perfect opportunity to introduce people to Jesus, and we just want to encourage you uh, to make it out for one of those gatherings and to invite some people you love. Sound good? All right, amazing. Let's uh, stand to our feet one more time uh, for our scripture reading. Father, we thank you that we get to meet with you now. And we thank you that um, although this is um, an ordinary common rhythm for us, many of us anyways, this is a special sacred moment where we silence all distraction and we come before you. And we ask that you'd be with us, we ask that you would speak to us, and we ask that you would transform us as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. This comes from Genesis chapter 2, starting verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust. Hold on, one. uh, Yeah, there we go, thank you. Uh, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man where he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters." The name of the first is the Pishon, and it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. All right, let's have a little thought experiment. What comes into your mind when I say the word paradise? Go ahead, let your mind run wild for a little bit. What comes into your mind when you think of the word paradise? Some of you are probably envisioning like an island paradise, like the Caribbean or Bali or Maui. Maui's my spot. It's like my favorite place on planet Earth. I went to college there in the early 2000s, but I'm not really counting anymore. I would have planted a church in Maui if the Lord would have allowed it, but he called us to the desert instead. I'm not complaining. (laughs) Bend is a good runner-up. Uh, Others of you, you might be envisioning like the mountain as paradise, especially after the week that we've had with all of the fresh powder and the mountain air. It's like your happy place, like John Muir, the mountains are calling and I must go. Others of you may be taking the experiment more sentimentally. It doesn't really matter where I am as long as I'm with the ones I love, that's paradise. Okay, like you win, all right? You're you're a better human than the rest of us. Anyways, here's the point. Jesus had a vision of paradise too. Check out Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, Jesus is hanging on the cross in his final hours, and there's two thieves, one on his left and one on his right. One of them is mocking Jesus like the rest of the crowd, and they're spitting on him and actively killing him. Jesus actually prays for them 
and forgives them. The other thief is moved by Jesus' power and love, even in his death, and so he believes. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. To Jesus, that's paradise. This is what Jesus is looking forward to in his final moments. And he promises to share this paradise with the undeserving but believing man by his side. Now, what do you think Jesus was envisioning or imagining when he says paradise? Do you think it was like Big Beach on Maui, like for me? Or maybe like Skyliner on Mount Bachelor or something like that? Most of us, just by default, we insert the word heaven in there. We assume that Jesus is talking about heaven. And that's not wrong technically, but that's not exactly what Jesus is saying. The word translated paradise in the Greek is the word paradesos. You can see where we got the word paradise from that, right? But hang with me, there's a bigger point. The Bible of Jesus' day, the Hebrew scriptures, or what we call the Old Testament, was also translated by a group of scholars from Hebrew into Greek. It's called the Septuagint, and they did it so that a society of mostly Greek readers could understand the scriptures. So paradesos is the word that those scholars used to translate the Hebrew word gone, or as we call it in English, garden. So you can look this up. When the original Hebrew says gone, the English Bible says garden, and the Septuagint says paradesos. In other words, you can kind of see where this is going. To the man who's crying out, Jesus, save me. Remember me when you enter your kingdom. He says, today we're going to be together in the garden. That's what God is saying. And what is the garden referring to? Which garden is Jesus referring to? It's the garden from our text today. It's the garden of Eden, the garden of delight. That's what Jesus was picturing on the cross. And he's offering to bring you back to that place of perfection and beauty and the presence of God. It's quite a hopeful reality if we're able to see it. And I'm going to do my best in the time that we have left to just paint the picture for you. First, I want us to notice that God creates humans or how God creates humans. It says, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. So, so, so what is this like dirt and nostril stuff? These are not exactly flattering terms to be talking about in relationship to our origins, right? Why couldn't we be formed from like the coffee bean or something cool like that, right? <laughs> nope, we're actually from the dirt. That's what the Bible says, we're from dirt. In fact, Ecclesiastes puts it rather bluntly, all come from dust and dust all return. You're glad you came today, right? You're feeling better already? It's, this, is, uh, this is the truth. Actually, coming from the dust, though, is not negative. It mean, it's not negative. It means that we're, we're not God. We're a part of the natural world that he made. And it means that we're mortal, like the rest of creation. But more than that, it's a statement about how we're unique. You probably remember that everything else God creates, the moon and stars, the plants, the birds, the fish, the land animals, out of his creative power, God speaks them into existence and he calls them good. Humans, on the other hand, he hand fashions from the dust of the earth and he calls us very good. So this is a poetic way of saying that he's coming close. God is getting his hands dirty. He's taking special care like a potter shapes and molds the clay to get his design exactly how he wants it. God is forming humankind. Next, he breathes into uh, humanity the breath of life. 
the breath of life. Now, in the most basic sense, that means that our life originates from God himself. We're not some cosmic fluke, as some might want to say. You are actually here. You are actually alive, conscious. Your synapses are firing. Your heart is beating. Your lungs are breathing because God decided to create you. You matter, and you're supposed to be here, right? More than that, though, students of the Bible will probably remember Genesis 1, 1, and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was covering the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That word for the Spirit of God, you may remember, is the Hebrew word ruach, and it means wind or breath or energy of God. And now, in the very next chapter, he's breathing into humans the breath of life. He's saying something very important. The presence of God is not just hovering anymore. He's actually indwelling humans that he had just made from the dust of the earth. That's even more important than you think it is right now. See, part of what it means for you to be human is to be the habitation of God's spirit. Part of what it means for you to be human is to be the habitation of God's spirit. Come on, y'all, that's good. Second, you are as close to God's presence as you are to the air in your lungs. You are as close to God's presence as you are to the air in your lungs. Now, it is true that, uh, that sin uh, drives a wedge and creates distance between us and God's presence. We don't really have time to nuance this out from the scriptures necessarily, but I do think it's fair to say that we know what it feels like to be far from God. It feels lonely. It feels empty. It feels like anxiety. It feels like fear. It feels like chaos, right? But in the story of Jesus, notice the very first thing that Jesus restores on Resurrection Sunday, which we're about to talk about here in just a couple of weeks. He says this in John 20, as he appears to his apostles in the upper room, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, what did he do? He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So through Jesus' power and love and glory, he's restoring things the way that they were supposed to be from the original garden paradise. So when you trust in Jesus, he's breathing his spirit into you again and you come alive. By the way, I think that this is what we are hungry for. I think this is what we're hungry for. Not a spiritual experience or an emotional high in the cliche sense, but you were created. You were created in your very being with the capacity and the longing for dependency on God's spirit like the air that you breathe. It's what your body was hand fashioned for was to be the habitation of God's spirit. So in the same way that holding your breath is de de depriving you of oxygen. To not live by the Spirit is to deprive yourself of what true life really is according to the scriptures. Are you with me? Amen. So this week, I got to meet with many of you. It's kind of my habit and uh, to meet with as many of you as I can in a given week. I always wanna do more, but I got to meet with several of you this week. And I have this personal conviction when I meet with anyone that, I'm, that, that, I, that I live by, that if we're gonna to get together, I'm, I'm gonna pray for you. It's kind of my thing, right? You, you can't get out of it. If you're not a Jesus follower, maybe I'll give you a pass because I don't wanna make you feel uncomfortable. But the truth is, I'm still praying for you, just not like in your face, right? <laughs> if we both follow Jesus, we're gonna to talk to him together. That's what I do, so that's my thing. So just fair warning, that's what it's like to be friends with me, by the way. Um, 
But my feeling is that prayer is always a gift, even if it's like very routine when we pray, or if we feel like the heavens have opened. Either way, prayer is a gift. Regardless, connecting with God is very, very good. And this week, I just had three really, three separate, really profound moments and experiences in prayer with three of you. Not to mention like the prayer and worship night that we had last Sunday night. Not to mention the times that I spent in the prayer room. Not to mention my personal time with the Lord Jesus in the week. But with three of you, I had really profound moments of prayer. And lots of the details of those stories are sort of confidential because they're like layered into people's stories. So I can't share all of the details. But I did meet with this one guy and he was, he's an amazing guy, but he's been like living in a pattern of sin that he does not want. And so he came to me and we were praying. And at first it felt very routine. Like it was just going to be kind of a normal prayer time or whatever. And then all of a sudden I felt like the Lord was speaking something to me and I said it out loud. And it all of a sudden stopped him in his tracks. And I just saw a grown man in his 30s just begin to break down and weep. Because he was hearing the voice of God. He was hearing God coming close to him in prayer. And it turned into this profound moment for him, a turning point, a breakthrough in his life because it was like he was breathing again, like he had been holding his breath and all of a sudden he's breathing again. Another guy I met with this week, also in his 30s, also dealing with a pattern of sin that had gone unconfessed for a long period of time. He's finally out in the open, willing to talk about and confess it with me. And I asked him, uh, he's been in the church all his life. And I asked him before we started praying, hey man, do you ever receive like visions from God? Is that common for you? He's like, no, in fact, I've never seen a vision from God before in my life. And I go, oh, okay. All right, well, let's pray. Within a minute, he's having multiple visions, like vivid visions of God speaking to him and his exact situation. He saw his family there and he saw all of these incredible things. Again, not to divulge the situation, but in, in an instant, this man started to receive from the Spirit of God, the breath of life, like coming home to God. And it was an incredible experience. A third experience with another guy in our church who will remain nameless for just the sake of confidentiality. Again, in, stuck in a pattern of sin. But the Lord brought him to the end of himself and he met with me. He says, how do I even surrender? I want to surrender to God, but I've been lost for so many years. I don't even know how to do it. I said, oh, it's like, that's a good question. Let's, let's talk to Jesus about it. So we just started to pray. Very simple. How I pray with you here on Sunday mornings. And we just began to pray. And as we began to pray, and I was guiding him through the process of surrendering his life to Jesus, he began to, again, a man my size or larger, like tough guy, uh, just starts to break down and weep because he sees the Lord coming to him, forgiving him of all of his sin and beginning to restore and beginning to heal him. And it's not just an abstract idea, but it's actually something that he's feeling in his lived experience because he's breathing in the presence of God. Another man, just this week, he had his first opportunity to be in the prayer room. He had tried to get in, tried to get in, but couldn't because all the slots were filled. But he managed to sneak in because somebody canceled last minute, so he jumped in. And he was finishing up his hour of prayer. And he came out and he said, you know, I was a little bit apprehensive. I wasn't sure what to expect, but I could just see all over his face a countenance shift. I've known this man for a couple of years. I've seen what he's like, but I noticed the countenance shift in him. He just said, I just feel God's peace. I feel God's presence. I could tell he was also wiping tears away just a moment before. 
The reality is, is that we were made, built into our bodies, built into our very lives. We were made for the presence of God, and that opportunity has been opened back up because of Jesus. He said, after he rose, receive the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what we're talking. I'm not saying that there's anything. Please don't mishear me. I can't guarantee any experience in your prayer life. And I cannot say that there's anything special about me or our prayer room. That's certainly not the point to internalize. However, we just believe the fact that God has said we have the breath of life. We believe him. We actually, we just take him at his word and we believe him. And this is my heart for you guys is um, as your pastor, my desire, my longing, my hope for you is that you would come to experience the presence of God in this exact same way. You're not chasing emotional high. You're not chasing some sort of cliche spiritual experience. You're just seeking him. You're turning your heart to him. And he is coming to you and teaching you how to breathe in and how to breathe out. My consistent experience is that when we seek the Lord as a matter of first importance, everything changes. Will you join us for that? Like, don't do it for any other reason than the promise laid out for you in Scripture. Do you believe what Jesus said? Do you believe the hope of his promise that you can experience him, that you can live in constant communion with him? Will you join us? So here, here's, I think the, the further we get into this narrative, the more it begins to make sense. So let's keep reading along here. This is what the scripture says in verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden there was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, river, and, and, and a river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and there, was, uh, there it was separated into four headwaters. So welcome, you guys, to the paradise uh, uh, that Jesus was referring to on the cross. And I want you to notice the things that God's doing. First of all, he's planting a beautiful and bountiful garden. A beautiful and bountiful garden. Again, like we've been saying all along, this is telling us something about who God is. He doesn't report to anyone Jesus does not, or the Lord does not have a client who's paying him to build a world according to their specs. He's God. So whatever God creates, he creates it because he wants to create it, right? So he doesn't have to make the garden full of food. He doesn't have to make a garden at all. He certainly doesn't have to make it beautiful. So the fact that he did means that he wanted it that way. To him, beauty and bounty are essential. They're not extra, in other words, to God, the earth is more than a waiting room for heaven. The earth is more than a waiting room for heaven. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. It's his dwelling place. Scholars have called the Garden of Eden his cosmic temple, or the place where God calls home, and where God rules over his creation as king, the cosmic temple. So he places you in that garden to enjoy his divine hospitality. That's something we've talked about a bit 
Twice in this passage, he says that he places humans in the garden of delight. So he's not just giving you like food to survive. He's making it bountiful and he's making it beautiful so that you can do more than survive. You can actually thrive and enjoy. And that's true for you as well. He wants to bless you. And I'm not saying in that in the prosperity gospel sense or anything like that. I'm not saying that God wants you to be like flush with cash so that you can do with it whatever you want. That's not the point. But I am saying that he is looking for people who he can bless with real blessing, real spiritual responsibility, real spiritual authority, people who will spread that blessing far and wide. That's what God is looking for. So accept his blessing. Be the kind of person who he can entrust with spiritual authority and responsibility. And notice his beauty. Notice his beauty. That is a core element of this divine garden, this place called delight. Notice his beauty. Notice his beauty in people, in the night sky, in the sunrise, in the mountains, in the garden, and also in joy. A couple of weeks ago, most of you know, I was in Brazil, in one of the most desolate places and destitute places in Brazil, and we were visiting with this family who had almost nothing, but what they did have was this massive, like 75-foot tall mango tree. I love mangoes. I think they're probably my favorite fruit. So the mangoes coming off of this tree were like twice as big and five times as juicy as the ones you're paying six bucks for at, at Whole Foods. It's like way, way better. Trust me, you're wasting your money. Like give your money to the, Brazil, the folks in Brazil. They'll, sh- they'll, they'll gladly share their, their mangoes with you. I was the beneficiary of some amazing mangoes. Anyways, all that to say, even when all is not well, even in places like northern Brazil, there is still plenty of beauty and bounty to enjoy from God's good world. The leading scholar on Genesis, Dr. John Walton, says the most central truth to the creation account is that this world is a place for God's presence. So it's not just us that are being blessed with God's presence. It's also the earth being blessed with his presence. It's also really interesting to me, and if I lost you, come back to me because this is really important, okay? Um, It's all really interesting that God chose to create this organic, natural garden for his temple, and not like an opulent palace or an industrial park or something like that. Of course, for us now, it's really hard to imagine any other setting for the cosmic temple other than the Garden of Delight because this story is ubiquitous with the beginning. But again, God could have done anything he wanted for his temple, and he chose a garden. He chose a garden. In other words, his dwelling is not in contrast to the natural world. It's actually a part of the natural world. His dwelling is not a static building that's finished. His temple is a dynamic and alive place. Water is flowing. It's teeming with life. And this has tons of implications for us. We'll get to here in a second. But for today, here's the main point. Out of the natural world, God is making things sacred. Out of the natural, God is making things sacred. So humans... He made from dirt. Can you think of something more natural than dirt? From humans, he's filling us with his Holy Spirit. And the Garden of Delight, it's just more dirt. It's plants and it's earth and it's trees and it's rivers and it's animals. But it's also the place that he calls home. It's also his cosmic temple. So God is taking the things that are natural and he's making them sacred and holy. In other words, what does this mean? Yes, you're made from dirt. It's common, it's ordinary, everyone's stepping on it, or whatever. But in the hands of God, he forms you, he breathes on you, and he makes you holy. 
So he's creating you for this sacred purpose, even though you're coming from natural places. And you're here to spread God's blessing as far and as wide as you possibly can. That's the sacred purpose, to spread God's blessing. So that principle of the sacred becoming, uh, or coming from the natural is, I believe, a biblical foundation for an embodied spirituality. So Gnosticism, which has been around for millennia and has been, in many ways, colonized the Western church, says that the material world or the physical world or your body even doesn't actually matter that much to God. It's all just like an empty bucket to carry your soul or your spirit or something like that. And that's what actually matters to God. That's not at all what the Bible is saying. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the Psalms say. The earth is not just a rock to just keep building more church buildings, right? And your body is not just a container for your immaterial self to think about God. It's much more than that. You are a whole-bodied creature that God has made holy in whom we live and we move and we have our being. So the hand of the artist or the voice of the songwriter, the mind of the engineer, the strength and the speed of the athlete, the brick and mortar of the coffee shop even, all matter to God and all have sacred potential. So we connect and we experience intimacy with God in every way that we worship him. And we can do that through all of these quote unquote natural ways in ways that actually bring glory and blessing back to God. Are you guys with me on that? It's really important. Okay, next, God arranges the garden with the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil at the center. So the center, or the top, if you will, of the future temples where the Holy of Holies is, for example, is the most sacred place of the temple. And in that place, it's just filled with images that are meant to bring us back to the garden. For example, the menorah represents the tree of life. And in the center of the garden temple is the most sacred place as well. And what do we find in the middle, the center, the top of the Garden of Eden? Well, we see the tree of life. And the tree of life, it represents God's own life and his creative power that's available to anyone who eats from it. So the symbol is really strong. We actually ingest God's own life. And it transforms those of us who eat from it. And it gives us eternal life. So fast forward to the life of Jesus, and Jesus calls himself the vine. And what is the metaphor that Jesus is invoking? He's invoking the tree of life. He says, the, uh, he says the one, I'm the one who is the source of life. I'm the one who brings nutrients and vitality to all of the branches, and only when you're connected to me do you bear much fruit. He's saying, I'm, I'm that tree. And if you're connected to me, you get life. So all throughout the Bible, we see this homage to the tree of life, the symbol of God's life that's freely given to anyone who trusts in God and is willing to go and take and eat. And it's there, also present in Revelation 22, the closing scene of the Bible as well. But then we also see this other tree in the garden, right? This is the problematic tree, the tree we're like, wait, wait a second, why is this here? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's tons of debate about why the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is in the garden. And although there are lots of really good guesses out there, ultimately, we don't know why it's there. There's a lot of people who seem really confident about why it's there, but the scripture doesn't actually tell us. What we do know is that God commanded us not to eat from it. That's important, right? We also know um, 
I think, a good idea of what the tree represents. In the words of Dr. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, he says, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents taking the authority to do what is good in your own eyes instead of trusting in God. So instead of trusting God, it's, it's trusting self instead. So in the center of the garden, we see this exchange or this interplay. Humans are given the choice to trust in the creator who brought order and beauty and bounty and gave you the breath of life, or you're free to choose to trust in yourself instead. This is the dilemma going on at the center of the Garden of Eden. And we all know how that story goes, but that's a story for a couple of weeks from now. Today, in the garden, all is very, very good. In fact, here's the command from God that we see. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Okay, so there's the, the command and the warning. So let me ask you a question. Let's reflect on this. Is God laying down on us a heavy burden? Like, does God have a bunch of strict rules that he's just sort of waiting for us to slip up and to make a mistake? No. Contrary to the contemporary readings of this text, that's not it at all. He's actually already set us up to thrive. He's already set us up to enjoy him. Now, on top of that, he's giving humans tons of freedom. Notice what he says just before that. He says, eat whatever you want. He's not saying... Monday apples, Tuesday bananas, you know, Wednesday papaya, Thursday whatever, right? He's not being strict like that. He's actually just saying out of everything in the garden, eat whatever you like. Come to the most sacred part of the garden if you choose to. Eat from the tree of life if you want to. That's what he's saying. Enjoy it all. One command. There's one tree that you can't eat from. Saying, I want you to trust me. I know what's best for you. I love you. I've been proving it to you all along. Look at the beauty of what you're standing in right now. It's better than you could possibly imagine, isn't it? Listen and obey my one command. Trust me. I know what I'm talking about. That's what God is doing. So God is giving us freedom within limits. Freedom within limits. So this is what I believe the scripture is saying to us right now. Freedom within limits is paradise. Freedom within limits is paradise. Freedom without limits is chaos. Freedom without limits is chaos. I remember I was 16 years old. I got my driver's license right away. Why? Because I wanted the freedom of being able to jump in my car and go wherever I wanted, right? And I always told my parents exactly where I was going, and I never lied about it, actually. That's not exactly true. There were some rebellious years in there that I sort of conveniently skip over. But anyways, uh, freedom is this amazing feeling that I remember feeling at, 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 at 16, but even when I started driving and I could go wherever I want, there were still limits to my freedom. I can't go 100 in a 55, right? I can't, like, drive on the left side of the road. I can't run a red light. I can't turn down the wrong way of a one-way street. And, like, a few hundred other limits. So why do these limits exist? Is it because the state of Oregon wants to restrict my freedoms? I know a number of you would just love me to go on a rant about that right now. <laughs> I'm sorry, today is not your day. That's not what this is about. I kind of walked straight into that one, honestly. The limits are there for everyone's safety. They're there to prevent chaos. What happens when you break a bunch of those limits? I remember, 16 years old, I broke a ton of those limits. I wound up in a ditch, almost, almost ended my life early. I was lucky to walk away from that. 
So, and that's what God is doing. That's why God gives us the command about the tree. He's not trying to condemn you. He's actually giving you tons of freedom. He's determined to bless you. He's setting you up to thrive. He's made everything beautiful for you to enjoy, but he knows that you cannot handle freedom without limits. It's not safe. It leads to chaos. So he's asking you to trust him. Creator knows best, right? Creator knows best. So here's how we end with just a couple of reflections on all of this. Number one, you were made for paradise. You were made for paradise. So the garden is God's cosmic temple, it's his home, and it's also where you belong. And in Genesis, we are awakened to this longing for paradise that was lost because of sin and rebellion. And the whole story of the Bible is God's way of bringing us back into this paradise garden that we were intended for. Number two, God gave you the breath of life. You were made to live by the Spirit. So I just want to invite you to reflect, is there any reason why you might be holding your breath right now? Is there any reason why you might not be breathing him in? Is there any reason that might keep you away from God's Spirit? Number three, you were made for freedom. (laughs) You were. In fact, Jesus says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. So in other words, he's renewing that same idea going back to the garden. God isn't dictating mangoes and then papaya and then banana and then apple and then whatever else. He's saying, freedom, eat whatever you like, enjoy. So he's giving us freedom. And at times life feels much more like bondage, much more like chains, much more like prison than it does freedom. And one of the reasons why that is the case is because of our sin and because of our rebellion. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus came to save you, to break off the chains, the patterns of sin, of brokenness, of evil, and to set you free. And for some of you, you're just like right there. You're just like right on the precipice. You're right on the edge where you've been exploring this idea of faith in Jesus for a time. And there's been a lot of things that you love about the presence of God and you love about the message about Jesus and his love and his compassion but you're still like caught up in the chains of addiction or bondage to sin or just a bondage of unbelief or something like that. It's time for some of you to just start living into that freedom by inviting Jesus to save you from sin and to break any of these like patterns that you're seeing in your life that actually lead to bondage. You were actually made for freedom. It's so tragic and sad when we see the people of God not living in the freedom that God has given us. We want to be the kinds of people who believe God at his word and actually experience the freedom he's talking about. Amen? Amen. All right. Next, God's commands, and there are many, not just in Genesis 2, but all throughout the scriptures, God's commands are there to bless you and to keep you from chaos. That's why they're there. We're still tempted to trust ourselves instead of God. We're still tempted to think that his commands are there to restrict us or whatever, oppress us. We're still capable, we still are tempted to believe that we're capable of defining good and evil on our own or something like that. But the whole story of Genesis 2 is trying to tell us, you know what? You're built for a lot of things. You're built for a sacred purpose, but you're not actually built to define good and evil yourself. You're actually built for freedom within limits. 
And this is actually how God made us. It's not an oppressive thing. It's God's safety. It's his goodness. It's his kindness. It's his compassion towards you. This is how he made you. So embrace God's commands, even the ones that you don't understand, as his way of keeping you safe. And, and at the end of the day, ultimately, your obedience to God's commands is about you trusting in him. So for some of you, maybe it's just time to confess. I told you a story, actually three stories, of God moving in people's life. It all came, this all happened this week, and I've seen a lot of this lately in many of you. And it seems to always happen when we come to the end of hiding our sin and we're willing to finally confess. And the scripture says in, in, in 1 John 1 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then you get to live in the freedom that you were designed for and meant for. Right, so it, maybe it's time for some of you to come out into the light and to let the Lord shine his light on you, forgive you of your sin, and usher you into freedom. So maybe that's you today, and you just need to do that. Um, fifth, and second to last, we are the living temple. I had to cut out so much of this teaching, you guys, so that I didn't go on for an hour and a half, because I could have. I don't know if I wanted to, but I didn't, because I love you guys. <laughs> um, and, uh, but anyways, 1 Peter 2.5 says that those who trust in Jesus are living stones that he is building into a new temple. In other words, uh, the community of faith is now the dwelling place of God on the earth. We are it. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We often like to say that I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. There is possibly some truth to that, but there's much more biblical, biblical evidence to support that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the community. So the garden paradise is popping back up right in the middle and right from within a really broken world wherever the community of Jesus are living by the Spirit. Are you with me on that? So we get to see God's garden, his paradise, begin to resurge and to come back in his church, in the community, and all around where we are walking by the Spirit. And then finally, the way back to paradise is by trusting in Jesus to save us. It's very simple. Actually, Phil mentioned this at the top of the gathering. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And just like he, he intended for the, for, the, for the thief on the cross, it's like, hey, listen, you will be with me in paradise. It's that simple. So if you believe in Jesus, you make that decision to trust in him. And he opens paradise back up for you, just like he did the thief on the cross. So as we close, I just want to give that opportunity to those of you who are literally about to make that choice. I just want to encourage you to, to, to take that, that, that step today. Today is the day of salvation, the language of the scripture. So will you please stand with me and let's pray. You guys, the garden, paradise is everywhere in the Bible. And God has it for you. He wants it for you. He's given you every opportunity to experience that. For us, it's about trusting in him and receiving the gift. That's what it's about. I'm reminded of uh, something that Jesus says to the apostle John in the book of Revelation. He's writing a letter to the church of Ephesus. 
And he says, hey, you guys have done a lot of things well, but one thing I have against you, you've left your first love. You used to love me more than you do now. How tragic to have to say that to the church. That's exactly what Jesus is saying to the people of Ephesus. He says, it's not like hope has not lost. Repent. Do the things you did at first. When you first trusted, do those things again. Saying that's the obstacle that's in your way of finishing well is love, love for me. So don't hold that back, return to me. That's the, that's the thing. And then he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. Check this. To the ones who are victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life in paradise. To the ones who are victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So close your eyes. I want you to imagine yourself coming before God in his throne. You are so good. That you made all of this for us to enjoy and delight. You are God. We're from the dirt, but, but you have made us sacred. You have made us holy. You have sacred purpose for us. We're your people. We're actually becoming the living stones that make up the new temple of God. For some of you, it's just time to say, okay, I do trust. I do trust in Him. I do trust that Jesus died for me, rose again. I do trust that He's opening paradise back up. And if that's you, I just encourage you now to put your hand up in the air for me. There is nothing special about me or this gathering necessarily. It's just a moment in time where you are responding to the invitation of Jesus. There are many of you with your hands up high and outstretched. Thank you, Jesus. Pray that you would seal these folks, these people you love with your Holy Spirit. Fill them now in the power of your Holy Spirit, Jesus. Yes. Others of you are like, man, I have walked with Jesus. I know what it feels like to breathe in the breath of life, but it's been a minute. And I need to return to my first love. I need to do the things I did at first when I first believed. I need to overcome, I need to be victorious so that in the age to come, in the paradise of God, Jesus will say, come on and eat from this tree of life. If that's you, I encourage you to lift your hands up in the air with me, I'm doing it too. I encourage you to lift your hands up in the air and just say, yes, I wanna eat from the tree of life. I wanna long for God, I wanna desire Him, I wanna love Him and have no other idol in my life. There is no one, there's nothing for me but Jesus. He's given me freedom, he's given me blessing, He set me up to thrive, and of course I will follow him, of course I will praise him, of course I will worship him. Get those hands in the air and let's give praise and honor and glory to our God. 
Thank you, Jesus. Let's say it out loud together. Thank you, Jesus. Let's say it again. Thank you, Jesus, for opening up paradise for us. Thank you for showing us the way back to life. Thank you for breathing in us the breath of life, the Holy Spirit. And so God, we, we worship you now. We worship and praise you now. I'm about to say amen. When I say amen, that doesn't mean the prayer's over. It actually means the praise begins. And so we just want to encourage you now to, to not hold back, especially those of you who've trusted in Jesus. Open your mouth. You are a whole cre creature meant to be a dwelling, a habitation for God's presence. Don't just think words of thanksgiving. Sing words of thanksgiving. Praise His name. So we're going to sing. The team's going to lead us. We're also coming forward to the tables of communion where we remember that sacrifice that Jesus gave on the cross and remember how He rose again. We remember the sacrifice that He gave in order for us to enjoy life. So we're gonna take it together as one church after this song, but let's go ahead and, uh, and, and come forward now as we sing and as we come to the tables.